But the Bible does say that Jesus also lives in the, um, the humble and the contrite place. Uh, this morning, I might call that the awkward place. And uh, if you're willing, if you're willing to be awkward before the Lord, and let me tell you, when you come into the presence of the Lord, that's what separates the contrite from the lofty. The lofty are lofty because they're really good at presenting themselves. Everything is orderly. Mark, could you turn that down? I, I appreciate it a little bit. Thanks. Um, but the thing that separates the, those that live in the lofty place from those that live in the humble place is that the humble don't know what to do. the Lord. Thank you people for just stepping out and, and let's let the Lord move this morning. We have a couple of testimonies. Um, Pat has got a testimony this morning. Diane Sayers got a testimony this morning. Before they do, I simply um, would like us to take a moment and just pray uh, for one specific need. Um, Luke chapter 5, I'm proud of you. I am. I hope it's okay to say that, <clears throat> but I am proud of you. I'm, I'm just proud of the fact that you've put one foot in front of the next and that you're walking with the King. You're walking with Jesus. And hallelujah. Others are watching. Your testimony is out there. And uh, I know the Lord is using it. Okay. Have you found it? Ephesians chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 10. Paul writes, finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and against the world rulers of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand, or a better way to put it would be, and having done everything, then stand. Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the gospel of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with every prayer and petition 
Pray at all times in the Spirit, and to this end, be alert, with all perseverance and requests for all of God's people. Having done everything, you're anointed to do it all. I'd like you for just a moment, stand one more time. Everybody just stand for a moment. And I want you to um, feel yourself standing. And I want you to think with me for a moment what standing really is. The world around you is falling apart. Battles are raging. Your own circumstances are up and down. Um, all kinds of enemy traffic is moving in and out, sometimes even in and out of your own life, your territory, your sphere of influence, your own household. But you are standing. You're standing firm. You're not trying to get to your feet. You're not falling down. You are standing. It's all about standing. Not only every day, but particularly living a life so that when the evil day comes, and we all know what the evil day is, it just comes, and, but you can be standing in that day. When that day's over with, you don't have to have regrets. You know you stood. The devil didn't knock you down. You didn't fall down in front of your enemies. You stood. And your stand is not dependent upon, and it's not because everything is going your way. Matter of fact, everything may be going, going south. Things may be going every way that you don't want them to go, but you are standing. Well, you could be seated. And let me say this to you as you think about standing and what a stand really is. Christianity is not about knowing God in your life, but it's about doing your life through God. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. Now, God wants you to be able to stand. He wants you to stand your ground. When the evil day comes and you're being tested, and for each of us it could be something different, but the evil day is the day that has that particular formula, that combination of circumstances that gets you every time. So think about what that is, and just know that the Lord has ordained that you should stand. The next time that day comes around, instead of falling, you can stand. God wants you to stand. So he wants you to stand your ground. That was another thing that jumped out to me. Wow, I've got some ground. The Bible says stand your ground. You mean I've got ground? God said yes, I've given you some wonderful ground. And if you stand on that ground, you can stand in the evil day. So he wants you to stand your ground. So in order to stand, as we read, Paul, you know, he's, he could be out there. Even Peter said Paul, Paul has these revelations and he could be spiritual and out there. But he's also painfully practical. And I thank God that he's painfully practical here because I said, he says, God's given you six things in the six elements of the whole armor of God for you to do. Six things that you can do, and I want to take a different approach to the 
whole armor of God. We often hear the whole armor of God taught and the spiritual symbolism of what they represent. Um, but what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the whole armor of God as something that you do rather than something that you simply learn or something that you hang in your closet or that you put out on display. This is something that you actually can do. So these are six things God's given you to do so that you can stand and be able to stand on that evil day. Now, let me just go back to a, to a couple of these phrases. In the 12th verse, he not only has said that we are to stand our ground, but he also uses the word our in connection with struggle. He says, for our struggle. So we not only have a ground, but we have an enemy that wants to take our ground. It's our ground. And so because of it, we have our struggle. Uh, it may be different circumstances with each of us, but the struggle is the same for all of us. And so he says, our struggle, ours, we who are redeemed, God's people, you and I, our struggle is not against people or the circumstances that surround people in this world. But, and then he lists this, this four layers of demonic activity and structure, and we're not for the purposes of this message, it's not necessary to get into that, but he's basically saying our struggle is against the demonic influences that are trying to push us off of our ground. And so he says, for this reason, he goes on to verse 13, because of this, you're going to need something that you don't have. Some of you may be very strong, some of you may be very bright, some of you may be very positive and effervescent, but you don't have what it takes to hold this ground in our struggle. So God says, I'm going to give you something so that you can stand against demonic resistance. And he says, take the whole armor of God, then he lists all of the pieces. I want to just make one other comment about our struggle. Our struggle in life is not against our obstacles. We all have obstacles. And have you ever noticed that not every obstacle you pray against just gets up and runs away? Our struggle in life may be because of obstacles, but it's not against obstacles. Our struggle is against the temptation to quit trying to overcome those obstacles. The battles that you and I face in life are not about getting past the battle. They're about whether we are going to overcome in that battle or we're just going to simply let it burn past us. The Lord's called you and I to victory and it matters to God that we stand as life moves along and we move with it and we go through those evil days. The Lord wants us to stand as a monument, a testament, as ambassadors of Christ, showing the world that God's grace can work through even the worst circumstances. And how does a sinner receive hope that Jesus is real, but that when he sees you walking through hell and you're standing? Somebody say, praise the Lord. So we struggle against the demonic forces that use our obstacles to push us away from Jesus and into despair, dysfunction, and defeat. 
I'm not going into despair, not going into dysfunction. I will not be defeated. But just hardening yourself into a little ball of resistance is not going to get the devil off your back. And sometimes we do that. We just harden ourselves up, but that's not going to do it. You need to take the whole armor of God and do these six things, and then you will be able to stand. And just to support that thought, Brother James says in James 1 and 25, but the one who peers and looks into the perfect law of liberty, that wonderful gospel of grace with its tremendous promises, and fixes his attention there, and does not become a forgetful listener, running out of church going, wow, that was a great message. I can't wait to hear the next installment in that series. These are great messages. I'm just getting all stirred up. I love this information, and we collect messages. But he says, the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention. In other words, he's not just collecting messages. And he does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out. He will be blessed in what he does. See, God wants to bless you. He truly does. And the reason he wants to bless you is not because someone who's super blessed on TV told you, oh, God wants to bless you too. But he wants to bless you for his reasons and his purposes, the first being that he loves you. Number two, he wants the world to see what somebody that Jesus loves looks like going through hell and back. Are you listening to me? And so God wants to bless you because he loves you. He wants to make a demonstration of His love, His grace, His mercy, all the wonderful promises of God. He wants to display them and demonstrate them in your life. Yes, your life. Hallelujah. And so the Bible says you'll be blessed if you do what the Word says when you learn it. And stop walking away from your devotional time when the Lord has spoken to you out of the Word. Stop walking out of church once you've heard something God spoke into your heart. Or stop getting up from your own study time and saying, Oh, that was great. I highlighted it and I underlined it. And then don't do it. If God has illuminated His Word to you, it's because He wants you to stop doing this and start doing this. And the way you can stop doing this is by starting to do this. We all say, I wish I could change. We've heard about change, some testimonies about change. And, but the truth is, and it was right there in the testimony, that until God brings about that change through His mercy and through His grace, that change is really nearly impossible. So how do we change? God gives us something to do. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's not a magic proclamation. You will be made or manufactured or reworked free as you do the truth of God's Word. So that's just a principle, uh, nothing practical, but a principle. Hold on to it. So therefore, let's wrap all this little uh, bit up before we go and take a look at this first piece, piece of God's armor that we're supposed to do. And let's say, God has given us these six things not to know about standing, but to do standing. So what I'm going to say to you over the next few weeks, 
I want you to take it and even when you're listening to it, think, how can I do this? So when I talk about in a few minutes the belt of truth, I want you to be thinking, how do I do this? How can I get up and tomorrow morning, I can do this. This is something I can do. And when you think about it, you might think, well, I'm going to have to change this in order to do that. See, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God dealing with you. And uh, so I want you to think, you're not going to stand because you learn about standing. You're going to stand because you do what it takes to stand. Amen. And so God's given us these six things. They are truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Christians love learning about this. They love learning about truth. They love learning about righteousness. Love learning about salvation. Love learning about the Word of God. But we need to learn, how do I do this? So I want to share with you just simple, practical things. How do I do this and put on the whole armor of God and stand? And before we look at the belt of truth, let me just simply say, you don't put on the armor of God in the evil day and stand. You wear it every day, and then when the evil day comes, you're standing. Okay, so you got, I hope you got that. This is not, you keep it in the closet. When you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, go run in, get the armor of God, put it on. It's not going to work. You, you do this every day, so when the bad day comes, hallelujah, you're standing. Number one, stand firm, therefore, by fastening, uh, I know it says put on, but I love the way this particular translation says by fastening the belt of truth around your waist. The reason I like that is it's so graphic. When he says in King James, put on the girdle of truth, I don't know what your mind must be thinking when you <laughs> hear that one. But trust me, having been born in the 50s and lived through the 60s, I have all kinds of images in my mind of what putting on the girdle of truth looks like. Not that I have experienced it personally. But, but we, we have a hard time relating to that. And then even more modern translations say, say, put on the belt of truth. And we're still just floating around in the metaphor of the whole thing. But I like this one because this one says... Pull the belt and fasten it around your waist. See, I, I get that because I do have a lot of experience putting belts on. So I've, I put a belt on this morning. So I'm never going to put a belt on again, especially, Terry, if you and I go do some, some remodeling or work on the church or something and we put on that utility belt. That's what I really am thinking about when I think about putting on the belt of truth. As you put that thing on, you know, the utility belt is a heavy thing. You know, if, if you've been fasting and lose weight, it just slides right off. You've got to adjust a couple notches. You know what some dudes do? Some dudes go out and they get those gripping fat red suspenders. And so they put the utility belt on and snap those big suspenders and to hold them up. Years ago in the Army, they would furnish you Alice gear. You'd have your great big belt on with all your, your jazz on it and everything. And you had to have this, this harness uh, that hold the belt up. Now that's kind of, I'm not thinking of a little decorative gold chain that some of you girls wear around your waist and call a belt. 
When we're talking about the belt of truth, we're talking about something that girds on. Strap that thing on your waist. Amen? Hallelujah. So fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Well, the best way that I could describe what I believe Paul is saying to us is that laboring. Everyone say laboring. It means working, laboring. Laboring to learn and to live God's word is girding yourself with the utility belt of truth. And on that utility belt of truth is fastened all the tools and weapons necessary for sustaining victory in every day and in the evil day of your life. That belt holds in that soft tissue. So you look lean and mean even if you aren't lean and mean. You put that on, all of a sudden you look taut and tough. But it has a much higher function than just pulling that soft waistline in. It is a utility belt. The sword goes in there. The knife goes in there. The, the uh, hang, hang your, I don't want to get all this metaphor. You can put your grenades on it, whatever. But canteen, water, all the tools, supplies, things that you need to fight and sustain yourself. In other words, to stand. You go running out without your belt. You got all that gear. You can't carry it all in your hands. You hang it on your belt. Isn't that right? So these are all the things that God has given you that will assist you in the victory. But you don't put them in a sack and drag them to the battle. You wear them. Do you get this thing? The belt of truth. It's not the sack of truth. Some people learn the Bible. Everything they learn, they throw in a little backpack. They could drop it off. They could pick it up. You know, I've got my little satchel over there. It's not the satchel of truth. It's not the bag of truth. They're not putting all their guns and stuff in a bag and saying, all right, we need to go. There's a battle. It's a belt. You wear it. It's around your waist. Wherever you go, it goes. You get what I'm saying to you? So when you put in the time, to learn the Word of God, and then to work at applying it to your life. When you hear a message and you say, you know what, I'm going to apply this to my life. This is convicting. It's encouraging. When you put the time in to do that, what's happening is the truth, capital T. It's called the belt of truth, the utility belt of truth. When you strap that belt on, you've taken the time to learn the Bible. You've taken the time to apply it to your life. What starts happening to you is that the truth begins to replace all the false ideas, foolish thinking, that, uh, and fears that kept you vulnerable to Satan's attacks. When you walk in the Word of God because you're practicing it, all those different thoughts before that were just open windows for the enemy to climb through. Thoughts that invited the oppression of the enemy. That, that literally exposed you to being knocked down when the circumstances of life rose up. Those foolish ideas get replaced. They're usurped. They are replaced by the truth of God's word. Think about what the truth of God's Word is. The Bible says that God upholds 
the universe with the word of his power. He created all things through his word. Psalm 107 says he sent his word and healed those, even those that were foolish and got themselves messed up because of their foolishness. He sent his word and healed them. He calls the lost out with his word. He sustains the weary with his word. He works wonders with his word. Hallelujah. So when you take the time to learn and apply God's word to your life, you're not wasting time. You are applying the belt of truth to your life. You now have something that your weapons, praise, confession, uh, your voice, your thoughts are now fixed in the word of God. Those things are now at the ready and you can overcome against Satan's attacks when you have taken the time to put on the belt of truth. When you're fortified and the pressures of life come crashing down upon you, like I said before, you're not going to shrink up into a little ball of confusion and let the devil drag you off into captivity. And I don't need to see anybody's hands, but all of us, all of us, not just insecure people, but all of us have gone through experiences in life when we just fold up like a cheap watch. That right set of circumstances come, that struggle. Uh, the author of Hebrews says it like this, the sins and the weights, the sins that so easily beset us. All of us have got those easy besetting sins, those things that we, we, we fall in front of and that, that fold us up so quickly. But when those things come, if you have worked the truth of God's word into your life, when you stand up, and now begin to address those issues in life, you'll have some authority. When you praise God, there'll be some authority. You see, that thing will actually be a sword that has been kept at your side through the truth that you have. Can you say amen? amen. You won't be dragged into captivity, no. But rather, you will begin to stand up and proclaim and cry out to your Heavenly Father. And when you do... You begin to cry out to God concerning your covenant with Him. The Word will begin to rise up within you. It's when you don't have the belt of truth that you don't run to God. Christians that don't know the Word don't pray. Christians that don't work the Word of God into the life as a practice spend very little time praying. When the Titanic's sinking, let's pray. Let's have a little prayer circle. But... People that get the word and work it into their lives, the more they do, the more you'll pray. And these six things that God has given us to do, all six of them really happen in prayer. They find their genesis in prayer. It's in prayer that we put on that belt of truth. In prayer, when, that, when those uh, problems come crashing down on you and you call out to God, you do it on your knees and you're crying out to Him. In His presence, can you say amen? Deliverance will begin to arise as you reach for your belt. Crying out to the Lord. Praise, faith, confession will have power. They'll have power because you have at the ready all that you need to overcome. All right, let me move on to the second thing and we're just going to uh, share these first two today and then next week we'll... Take the next two. The second says, putting on the breastplate 
of righteousness. Of course, now when we talk about a breastplate, everybody gets the image of the guy with the suit of armor on. Or you can see the, the SWAT team with the guy that's got his, his uh, Kevlar vest, you know, his protection on. We've all seen in the, um, the TV shows where the guy gets shot in the chest and he gets back up under ordinary circumstances. If he didn't have that breastplate on, he'd be dead, right? But he's got that breastplate on. It hurts. He's bruised, but he gets up. He's standing, right? So Paul says, and they had, it was the exact same principle back then, the soft, vital organs of your life are protected because they can't protect themselves by putting on the breastplate. So Paul says, do righteousness. Put on righteousness, and that will guard your heart. It'll protect your heart. Praise the Lord. You see, those vital organs, your heart, your conscience, if they get perforated, it could be fatal. And so they need to be protected in life. How many believers do you know, maybe you've gone through this yourself, were walking with the Lord and then something happened? Maybe it was the right combination. Something happened and just took them out. They disappeared. You don't see them in church anymore. They've gotten offended. They're angry or they're hurt. They're afraid. And they're just holed up somewhere in their house. They're not walking in the victory. They're not walking in the Lord. not fellowshipping with God's people anymore. The enemy took them out. Something hit their heart, hit their conscience. They didn't have that breastplate on. And so when, those, when that person didn't shake their hands three weeks in a row, that was it. I'm out of here. And uh, I don't want to make light of it because sometimes those things that pierce us can be really powerful. But even those things, the breastplate of righteousness can protect you. You know, the death of a loved one, the unexpected loss, the breakup of a marriage, things that really are huge in life can bring tremendous offense, can just take the wind right out of your sails, cut your feet right from out, out from under you. But the scripture says, put on that breastplate of righteousness so that you can stand. You've got to protect your heart. And the scripture that I love most that talks about it out of Proverbs 20, or 4, 20 and 23 says, My child, pay attention to my words. Listen attentively to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your sight. Guard them within your heart because their life to those who find them and healing to one's entire body. Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it are the sources of life. Maybe your arms are used for the bow and the arrow and the spear, your legs for running and standing. But if that heart isn't pumping, it's not sending the life from the top to the bottom of your feet. That heart goes, you go. And there's not, a, there's not a set of muscles in your body that are going to spare you. So cover that heart with the righteousness that is that breastplate. When you cover your heart, your conscience, with the breastplate of righteousness, you're keeping yourself essentially firmly rooted in prayer and in communion with your Heavenly Father. You see... Jesus made us righteous through his blood. Our right standing with God has been imputed to us. We didn't earn it. But the reality is 
that there is both a legal and a vital side to our righteousness. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We are righteous. 2 Corinthians, you've often heard it quoted, the end there of uh, chapter 5, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. But there is also a vital side to righteousness. If you don't pray, if you don't fellowship, if you're not in the presence of the Lord, receiving the life of that righteousness, the devil can steal the truth of that position out of your mind and heart. Why? Because you just get broken down by the world and your mind just begins to become worldly. That conscience begins to deteriorate. And then it doesn't matter that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're down here walking in captivity and confusion and in bondage. And so the imputed righteousness that God has given you is doing absolutely nothing for you because you won't pray. You won't go into the presence of the Lord and let Him look you eyeball to eyeball. Let Him touch you. Let Him move on your heart until tears are flowing and your heart is breaking before God. Then you realize, oh, thank you, Jesus. You've made me the righteousness of God in Christ. You feel the burdens going. You, you feel it not necessarily just in the emotional sense, but deep down in your heart. Righteousness is meant to be a vital experience, not just a legal fact written somewhere in heaven's book of life. Remember, this is about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, not having the breastplate of righteousness. You don't invite people over to your house and say, oh, have I shown you my breastplate of righteousness? Look at this. It's beautifully displayed. I've got it in this walnut cabinet right here. And there, there's my breastplate of righteousness. And unfortunately for a lot of us, that really is what it has amounted to. It's just simply putting on display what we know and what we believe. And I'm saved, bless God, and, and all of those things. But meanwhile, your life is functionally deteriorating. You're still going to church, but you're not happy. You're still praising God, but you, you can't remember the last time you had a connection. Are you listening? Righteousness is a connection. It is meant to be something you put on, not just know about, not just have. Yes, He has given you righteousness so that you can receive it every single day. 24 hours a day around the clock so that righteousness is something that is surging in your life, not just hanging on your wall. And when I say righteousness, I'm not talking about running around doing good things, good deeds. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing good things. So don't stop doing good things. But righteousness has a, has a, has a root principle that, that supersedes going around doing good things. It is a state that begins with being. It is being in the presence of God accepted. You know, if you don't pray, if you don't fellowship and commune with the Lord, you can know in terms of book facts that the Lord loves me. You can sing it like the little Jesus song that kids sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But wouldn't it be nice, and don't you and I need to be able to go down on our face before God and come up having been washed, filled, having that freshness. There's nothing, there's just nothing like it. Nothing like it. And that's what he means when he says, put on righteousness, hallelujah, as a breastplate. You can know the facts about God's love for you. And that, that's good for sunny days. 
But on the stormy days, you need to receive God's love for you. Some of you married people, that marriage doesn't stay good if it just begins to disintegrate into we've got a certificate, we share a dwelling, um, but we are not receiving love from one another. You know the old story. Greta asks, asks Sven, do you love me? And he says, rattles his newspaper in the morning. She asks him the next morning, do you love me? Mm. Rattles his newspaper, she's making coffee. Finally, one morning, he puts his newspaper down and she says, do you love me? And he says, I told you 17 years ago I loved you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. And then he picks his paper back up and he's, you see, but she's not asking about whether he has love in his heart for her. She's saying, I need some love. I need some love. Amen? So we all need it. We need that righteousness. We need that communion. When you don't have it, you're not doing well. And you need it with the Lord. Hallelujah. And so you can know about God's love, but when you're going through a tough time, knowing about His love is good. It's a start. If you know the truth about the love of God, that He loves me. Perfect love casts out fear, but it's not knowing about perfect love. It's receiving perfect love. The Bible says perfect love casts out, throws out fear. So I see love kicking the door in, bam, walking in, grabbing the liar, whoop, out with you, just like some bad trash. See, love does that. It's not you falling apart at the seams going, I know he loves me. I'm, I'm trying to remember that Jesus loves me. No, it's, it's not remembering that he loves you that's going to throw the oppressor out. It's calling agape in. And boy, I tell you, agape walks in. It's not some wimpy, fairy-like guy. I probably, this is the 21st century. I probably shouldn't use those terms anymore. But who's just kind of coming through the door? No. Agape's big, got muscles, and it's strong. The love of God casts out fear. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord God, this is Jesus talking, is upon me. Because he has anointed me to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When the spirit of heaviness, the devil's walked in and thrown the spirit of heaviness on you. When he's come into your life and uh, there's just ashes everywhere. And you're mourning. The Bible says, if you'll go to Jesus... He has been anointed to give you. He didn't, he's not saying go to Isaiah 61 and read about beauty for ashes. He's saying go to Jesus and get some. Get some beauty. Get some joy. Get some love. You understand what I'm talking about? I need to get me some. I need to go to Jesus. He is anointed to impart those things to me. But if I don't go to Him, that righteousness becomes a theory rather than an experience. God wants you to get up and experience righteousness. If you and I would walk in the experience of God's righteousness, if we would have communion with Him, put that belt of truth on the breastplate of righteousness. When that evil day comes, those spears will be bouncing off of you. Bullets, bam, bounce off of you. You might get bruised, but you'll get back up.
Are you listening to what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Finally, in closing, Isaiah 40, 31, we all know it. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall... See, ever I told you, everybody knows it. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with the wings like eagles. They will run, walk and not pass out, faint. The word, it's a little unfortunate, but the, the word that the English translators translated um, from that text is they shall renew their strength. And the idea is I'm weak. I go before the Lord. I wait upon him. And by the way, I was out at a nice restaurant a little while ago and a nice man waited on me. Yeah, praise the Lord. He didn't come to the table and just stand there just waiting. He waited on me. They that wait upon the Lord. Yes. Oh, Lord, I'm here. What can I do? What can I do, Lord? Is there anything I can do for you? Wash your feet. Yeah, the Lord says, my feet are good, but so-and-so's over there. Could use a little washing. If you don't mind, when we're done here, would you call them up and go over there and wash their feet? Sure, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. When you wash their feet, it's like washing my feet, Jesus said. So, they that wait upon the Lord will, and again, they said, renew their strength. And the idea is you kind of go in and you say, you know, I, I'm usually very strong, Lord, but I've been going through some battles, so my strength is, I've got, you know, just a little, got my shoulder a little tucked in here. It's a little sore. Lord, so I'm going to fix you up and I'm going to make you strong again. But that's really not what the word is that we translate into renewed means. The word that we use is a kind of an un, unusual word, and maybe the best way to translate it would be they change or exchange their strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall exchange their strength. So you come in worn out with your worn out strength. God knows I can't send Terry back out into this fight with his strength. He's going to get his head handed to him on a platter. I'll take that old strength, Terry. I've got some new strength. I've got my strength to give you. I've got my anointing. I've got my abilities. Terry comes in, I've had it, I'm broken down. I don't think I can go any farther. The Lord says, that's not a problem. Matter of fact, I specialize in that kind of weakness. See, God doesn't need your broken down strength in order to make you stand. But what he does need is he needs you to exchange it. Glory. Take it to him. Lay it on the altar. Get it out. Get it out. Get your good cry out before the Lord. Seek him. Call upon him. Wait on him. But just determine I'm not getting up until I have traded yes, beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm here because... I believe the word. That's the, that's the point at which what you believe becomes something you do. That's the point at which it becomes a belt you strap on. That's the, that's the point at which your righteousness becomes something you've actually put on. Is when you don't get up from prayer until you are new. Until you have made that exchange. Then you will stand in the evil day. Speaking of standing, go, go ahead and uh, let's stand. And if you would this morning, and I know this will only take a moment, but we haven't done this in a couple weeks, would everybody, I want to invite everybody, you'll be safe, I, I promise, 
just come down here and get up around this, this red covered table. This is our...